0: The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Review. Now a part of Blaze Media, big conglomerate, conservative powerhouse. And yes, Conservative Review is still around. We are not changing names. If you haven't heard our announcement and heard my take on it, I'll listen to the first 20 minutes of yesterday's show. That is episode 314. Today is episode 315. But it's great to be back in the house today. And it's the same house. Mikasa, casa Nothing has changed. As you can see, we are still the same powerhouse as um, we always were, with just more resources, more audiences. And, you know, I welcome those of you who always followed the blaze but never went to Conservative Review or CRTV. And we're all one happy family. And by the way, I'm really proud of the fact that under our merged Twitter handle of Blaze Media yesterday, we put out John Miller's terrific video opposing jailbreak. You know, even though Glenn Beck was bought onto it. So you see that certainly we have not changed. This is coming from a position of strength. And if there was ever a time where you needed an independent powerhouse conservative network, it is now. Because I'm running out of adjectives to describe what this party and movement is doing on budget, on Planned Parenthood, on healthcare, on immigration, on the courts, on criminal justice. And their focus, their lack of focus, their hypocritical priorities is unbelievable. Yet everyone is scared, either too scared to call it out, doesn't believe enough in anything the way the left believes in things to really focus on it, or is just straight-up distracted, doped up on this political morphine. We definitely do have a crisis of intellect, a crisis of morality, whereas the left believes they speak to the morality of their immorality. No one is speaking to the morality of our views and the immorality of their views like we do here and will continue to do here at the Conservative Conscience on the blaze media. But anyway. I always use the word perfidy. You got treachery. Duplicity. Deceit. Disloyalty. Infidelity. Faithlessness. Betrayal. Treason. Double dealing. Breach of trust. Whatever other synonyms you could find. Um, It's funny. This week was actually supposed to be a very busy week because we had the budget deadline on Friday. And this was the week where we should have had a national debate over the insane invasion at our border and all of its cascading ill effects and all of the broken policies, particularly situated in the courts, that are breaking them. But it wasn't to be. It wasn't to be. I have an article out explaining what these guys are doing. And it is the perfect arrangement, as they always do every year around Christmas time, to give the Democrats one big gift, a parting gift, while sticking their most loyal voters with a lump of coal. So what they're doing is, they're extending the continuing resolution until December 21st. Now, as you all know, what's gonna happen is no one's gonna have an appetite to start a fight then, as opposed to now we have a little bit more of a buffer before Christmas break. And that will be the easy time to just get Trump to cave for the eighth time or so. And that will be it of the trifecta control and beginning in January, Nancy Pelosi will take over the house. And not a single aspect of this border invasion will be dealt with. To truly appreciate the perfidy of this budget, of what they're doing, you have to first understand that these people are using President Bush's death as a way of distracting and saying, look, well, we got to have a funeral. We can't have a budget fight that risks the risk of government shutdown. Yeah, let's pump this. Let me ask you a question. If Democrats had control of all three branches, but only for another couple of weeks, and you know they just had lost the election and lost control of the House, and they had a major pressing priority where the news cycle spoke to that priority, and, you know, for example, let's say the opposite on the border. To them, the crisis is not letting in enough of them. Do you think for a minute, if a president, American president died, they would allow that to get in their way. You know what they would do? They would use that president's death and his legacy to say this bill is a memorial to him. This is why we need to pass the bill. Because they're shameless, they're indefatigable, they're persistent, they never give up. That's the difference between a party that believes in something, which is backed by a movement that believes in something, versus a party that doesn't believe in anything and a movement that's 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 phony. I mean, think back to that lame duck session in December of 2010, after they had gotten crushed, lost 63 seats in the House, and they were losing their final months of trifecta control. They repealed Don't Ask, Don't Tell. They passed the DREAM Act. Now, it didn't wind up passing the Senate. Um, they had the New START Treaty whole bunch of other garbage. All their spending priorities were codified. I mean, I remember that. It was like a gut punch in the stomach. It took all the momentum out of that Tea Party wave election. Here, Republicans do the opposite. But it gets even worse than that. If you understand the profundity of the perfidy, profundity of the perfidy, it's truly, truly a sight to behold. So in this bill, one of the things now now this this bill is just again, it doesn't have new priorities like an omnibus does, it just has things on autopilot. But you know what's funny? It's not perfectly so-called clean. They attach two things onto it. They attach, um, what do you call that thing? They attach the flood insurance program extension, and they attach the Violence Against Women Act extension, which is being kicked around with the continuation of um, of funding for government. So it was slated to expire December 7th along with government funding, and uh, here we are. Now they're gonna extend it along with the duration of this bill. So we can't go for one day without the crony market distorting flood insurance program that boxes out private so- sector solutions, is broken like anything, and incentivizes risk-taking beyond what's actually sound with uh, creating houses, building houses in flood zones. Everyone recognizes that. And yet, that that's an emergency. We can't go for even a week of a lapse of that program. We can't go for a week of a lapse in the violence against women program. But we can go indefinitely with a lapse in a border where we literally have several thousand people likely streaming over every day, criminals, gang members, drug runners, at best case scenario, impoverished and strains on our hospitals, our education system, our culture, public services, and then obviously the the threat of, of tuberculosis and other diseases, no, that's not I mean I mean the the stuff that it's doing to our our communities at the border. I just spoke with the Yuma County Sheriff today. He was just telling me all all the stuff he's dealing with. It is astounding. That is the government shutdown, folks. Our government is shut down because that's why we have a federal government. That's the number one job is to stop things like this. Not to get involved in flood insurance. It's not why we have a federal government more than a state government. And violence against, against Women's Act, you know what's funny about this? There's a funny side lesson, aside from the main lesson here, that, you know, Republicans, you see what their priorities are as opposed, you know, in, in the budget. But there's a side lesson with everything we're talking about with jailbreaking, criminal justice reform, so-called prison release reform. You know what's funny? We all we noted that this movement is not. It's not consistent, even if they're wrong it's that they'll join with anything the progressive political class says is cool to join with meaning if you're totally against overcriminalization and federal government getting involved in too many things you would start devolving a lot of statutes to states you would start going after the overzealous prosecution of self-defense people who get in trouble for self-defense are uh, military you know combat soldiers getting in trouble for killing the enemy those are stuff you deal with and what's interesting about VAWA, so the Violence Against Women Act, perfect name, I mean, classic Orwellian thing. So, you know, anyone who opposes it, oh, you, you support violence against women. When really it's these bastards who are weak on a crime that are anti-women. The same people who are weak on a crime, but they want Violence Against Women Act. So you understand that, you know, Republicans embrace and obsess about this. They embraced this bill when really you understand the origin of it from the early 90s. The legacy was the smear on Clarence Thomas. That was the impetus for the Democrats pushing it when they controlled um, Congress. And now Republicans champion it. But anyway, in 2013, they massively expanded it. So, So, I mean, to begin with... You know, all these programs of training law enforcement, there's no evidence that shows it helps or produces any benefits. It's a feel-good, wasteful, $1.6 billion program. It, It is the purview of state government. I mean, this is the thing. The border is the purview of state government. Domestic violence is local law enforcement, and yet they get involved in it. But then in 2013, they expanded it to include, you know, look, I mean, I am a guy who just, grabs women and beats them up. I mean, look, I'm, I'm like, give the guy the death penalty. I'm old school. But again, you have to have due process, you know, just like we said with the Kavanaugh thing, you know, if it's true, it's horrible. But if it's the accusation is false, it's just as bad. And you got to have due process. So, um, you know, they started covering unpleasant speech, emotional distress. I mean, and this stuff gets very murky. I mean, because, you know, it gets very murky and you got to be very careful with this. It expanded the law's reach to give tribal Indian authorities jurisdiction over non-Indians accused of domestic violence within its borders. Very dangerous for due process. It also created all these U visa programs or expanded them. So it created this whole visa mill um, of illegal immigrants claiming, you know, like every single, everything's an asylum refugee type of program that gets abused. So this is another one they created. Um, and then it expanded it to homosexuals, transgender, and all this stuff. Um, so this had to hitch a ride in a government funding bill in the late hour. And not even like the omnibus. This was like the, just a sh- clean two-page, sh- 2 weeks short uh, stopgap bill. We couldn't do without it. But they couldn't have an attachment to go after Sanctuary cities close the floor settlement problem with the separating kids and the um, asylum, UAC stuff and the judicial problems. No, that won't be in the short-term or long-term bill. But you know what else will be in the long-term bill? Doubling the H-2B visas for low-skilled, seasonal, non-agriculture workers. So these are your, you know, hospitality workers. And again, this is what boxes out Americans from taking those jobs if you wouldn't have slave labor, they would have to pay higher wages. And I don't want to hear this fiscal argument for it because, you know what? You want to pay them slave wages, so you own it, buddy. But what they do is, these people are on welfare programs. Because remember, because of the stupid, unqualified, unconditional birthright citizenship policy, if you're here on a temporary worker visa, or you're, you're not domiciled, you should not Your kid shouldn't be a citizen, but you have a kid here, he's a citizen. You can collect welfare on his his behalf. Priorities, priorities, priorities. Unbelievable. But anyway, I just wanted you guys to see that side note. That they're sticking the Violence Against Women Act reauthorization in the bill, antithetical to the purview of of a federal government. (laughs) but they won't stick in anything on the border. Nothing on the border. Now, you want to talk about more perfidy. Let me read to you an article from the Washington Examiner. Grassley pushes GOP to vote on criminal justice reform. Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley on Tuesday called on the Senate to take up and pass criminal justice reform bill that's backed by the Trump administration, and he said it would be worth approving fewer of President Trump's judicial nominees to get it done. So think about this. The judges are the one thing that trumps all other betrayal, and the Republicans use that to betray us in every other issue. Yet jailbreak trumps even that. Folks, think about this for a minute. Where this is coming from, and how strong of a swampy play this is, how strong the forces of evil behind this are. Unbelievable. But again, I don't want to. We, we discussed a lot of jailbreak yesterday. I have my new article up on some of the stuff we talked about yesterday with, um, you know, the sex offenders and high risk individuals also being eligible for early release. I'll link to that in show notes. I just want you guys to know, this is a man that just a couple years ago said every argument that I say on the issue, specifically about the provisions of this bill, broadly philosophically about the issue in general, he said it just as passionately as I say it. And within six months, from the spring to fall of 2015, he became a supporter. That's how malignant this evil, demented jailbreak movement is that 95% of this phony, corrupt, conservative movement, which is not conservative at all, has bought onto. And that's another big part of this perfidy. Even if you allow for some disagreements here. This is what they're focusing on? Let's address both the libertarians and phony social conservatives that are saying, oh, this is what God wants, forgiveness. Let's address each each of them. You have record spending not being addressed in this budget. You have the betrayal on Obamacare and yet the libertarian groups, nope, it's all jailbreak. 100% of their political capital with the remaining waning days of control of the trifecta of government, this is what they're focused on, jailbreak. Social conservative groups. We have the funding of Planned Parenthood, which they gave up on and nothing. Don't care. We have the transgenderism in the military that the courts are forcing. Don't care. We could easily defund castration surgery in the military. Won't won't push for it. We have the religious liberty problems. We have the problems with the Catholic adoption agencies being forced to deliver kids into the hands of this fake marriage business, even if you would be okay with it. But to, you know, to say that all things are equal and, and there's no difference between that and a mother and a father and you're not even going to give a kid a choice. So we're worried about invaders bringing their kids here of no choice of their own, of no fault of their own, so to speak. And somehow it's our fault. Somehow it's incumbent upon us to give them status. But they're not worried about kids being delivered into the hands of these whacked out licentious arrangements of no fault of their own. But what's their concern? Gangbangers. The very drug traffickers and gangbangers responsible for the violence in Chicago and the drug trafficking killing 72,000 people everywhere in this country. That is how perfidious and perverted and perverse and duplicitous this movement is. Think about that. Repeat the last 20 minutes of the show. Listen to it again. And understand on how deep of a level this party and this movement is irremediably broken and how their priorities are screwed up beyond belief. Beyond belief. And by the way, just one more thing before we close the loop on on jailbreak, I want to let you guys know good piece of news i forgot to say yesterday i'll link to the political article in show notes but political reported that trump is clearly not pushing mcconnell into pushing a vote on jailbreak which again proves my point which was obvious that trump never supported this never really wanted this he always spoke 180 degrees the opposite you know against this these people deserve the death penalty, as he said, certainly not to early release them. He was lied about the provisions in the bill, and I think he's seeing that now. And, you know, he was never really sold on it. It was all Jared pushing it. So, you know, all these schmucks are like, Daniel, you're opposing Trump's agenda. No, 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 you are. Um, But anyway, so that's... And look, you know, the one good thing about Mitch, which we're benefiting from here, is that he's like a graveyard. He just doesn't want to do anything. So, I mean, at least he'll stop the malignant stuff although not in the budget, but some of the standalone stupid things, you know, you could count on his graveyard. But anyway, um, back to the budget. I just wanted to mention to you guys, I forgot to say the most important degree of perfidy that I don't think anyone else is making this point. I want you guys to um, have this clear. And again, you could always email me at dherowitz at CRTV.com if if you have any questions. I I can't always promise that I'll answer, but I, I try my best. Um, to answer as many emails as I can. Uh, and, and by the way, it still is the CRTV.com email. To my knowledge, we're not changing that, at least not now. So you could email us there. Um, I do have a conservative review email that I don't use as much, and that certainly wouldn't change because conservative reviews domain is not changing. Uh, anyway, so unlike previous years, you know what what happens? You have the fiscal year begins October 1st. And typically they don't have the 12 appropriation bills that they passed individually. Um so what happens then is that they either have to do an omnibus bill, but usually they first do just a continuing resolution a couple times, and then eventually several months into the fiscal year, they get to an omnibus bill and just put all 12 into one and you know they finish that year's appropriation bills. And typically when it's done that way, In recent years, the last decade or so, most of the time it's been all or almost all of the appropriation bills, meaning they haven't passed any of them. So all of government is – all of the federal government is hanging in the balance of that budget bill. Um, So when you have a budget deadline, we have to either have a CR or an omnibus. If we don't have it, when they talk about a government shutdown, it means all of it. Now, again, to be clear, all of it means non-essential personnel, which is 17%. Of the bureaucracy, all the mandatory programs continue. All of the, um, you know, obviously any security related thing continues. Now they won't get paid, but everyone knows they always do get paid back whenever the government shutdown ends. There really is no collateral damage. It's a lie. The only ones you could say that are hurt are some of the private contractors that might not get back pay, um, but still, and especially the ones that aren't even furloughed. So that's the worst, the ones that have to work, but aren't, you know, but but again, you you get the point. You know the shtick of a government shutdown. What's different here is that they actually did pass five of the bills. Now they weren't some of them were bundled. If you remember, they already passed five out of the twelve departments are completely are fully funded for the remainder of fiscal year twenty nineteen, which is up until next October first. September 30th, right? That is funded already. Meaning that which were on a CR from, you know, September 20, whatever, whenever they passed it, until December 7th, this Friday, that is the remaining seven departments. If you remember, Republicans had a very uh, productive appropriation season, the most productive in a decade. They passed them. You know why they were productive? (laughs) Because they gave the Democrats everything they wanted. There was no fight. There was no point in contention, and Trump signed it. Remember the big labor HHS education? The most funding for HHS and and education ever. Obamacare, Planned Parenthood, you name it, was all funded. All the stuff we talked about. So what they did was, and then they funded, so um, let me just get this straight. I'm just trying to make sure I got the right agencies here. It's in my article, just if you want to see it but uh, it was late. the labor department is fully funded HHS is fully funded Educa- department of education department-, department of energy EPA military construction veterans association and defense so veterans the military you know active duty NV- and VA all the healthcare programs social security it's all funded. And by the way, those five, meaning even though it's five out of 12, so it's less than half, but it accounts for 75% of the of the discretionary budget. Again, men- mandatory programs, which in itself are two-thirds of the $4 trillion pie, are funded anyway. The discretionary, which is the remaining one-third of the $4 trillion, so 75% of that is already funded for the whole year. So a point I'm making is, ironically, because of the GOP's perfidy and betrayal on the initial full year funding for those things where they gave to, into the Democrats on all the policies of those issues and all the on funding levels, it actually makes it easier for them to have a fight now. Because, again, we shouldn't worry about this, but in their mind, they're maniacally scared of being blamed for a shutdown. The military is funded. The veterans are funded. HHS and healthcare and Medicare and social security, it's all funded. And all the discretionary agencies behind that, not just the mandatory programs, but the actual agencies, they're funded. They'll operate with pay. It's only several others, like the Department of Interior, and including DHS, DHS, that's not funded. So you could actually harness what's considered a must-pass bill to have a national discussion on a must-pass bill on the state of our border with Trump giving every night. He should give televised addresses. But of course, he won't do it. He won't threaten a veto. He's going along with this, and no one's calling him out. But you could do so without the risk, uh, 75% risk, and... and it's not just 75%. It's, it's the worst agencies that, you know, people are scared that, they, again, they don't shut down. By definition, the military doesn't shut down. But, yeah, they're not te- technically not getting paid that week. You don't have that. This is a, actually the, the most unique budget opportunity since I've been dealing with, I don't know, 40 budget brinkmanship deadlines since I started covering this stuff in 2011 when Republicans took over the House. This is actually the easiest one. And yet they're punting, and again, it's not a punt, it's a complete betrayal because everyone knows what's gonna happen. Yeah, you know, I mean, you understand what December twenty first is. You know, it's essentially already Christmas. Christmas Eve is Monday. So you have the it's it's Christmas weekend. There's no way they're having a, a showdown over the border on that. They're just not now would have been the time to have it. So they lied. And again, I I don't blame Trump because no one in the movement is demanding action. Meaning, if you're... Trump is, let's just say, a convert to conservatism. Let's just, for argument's sake, let's just, you know, don't... you know If you believe he's not, don't send me nasty notes. I'm just, you know, bear with me. He's not going to be more religious about it than conservatives themselves. And if conservatives go up to him, every single group in unanimity... And Trump's like, dude, you guys got me elected. What do you want? I'll give it to you. And they're like, um, we want criminal justice reform. Well, what do you want from the guy? If you tell him that's what you want and you don't want any of this, well, he's not going to feel any backlash. He's not going to be more religious about it than you are. I'm not trying to defend him. I'm just saying the problem is we don't have a conservative movement. So you're certainly not going to get Trump to to do this stuff on his own. So that's with that here. Unbelievable degree of perfidy. Now, by, by the way, just a side point, um, and I'm sorry to get distracted. There's a couple of things that are distracting me right now as I'm recording. Um, there is news out of South Carolina that the Qatari government is trying to invest in South Carolina. Remember I told you, everything we hated about the Saudis buying things up and subverting and spreading their poison, and they're not doing that anymore, and the Qataris are doing that, yet we're siding with the Qataris over MBS. Whatevs. One other cute kind of point here, um, I'm just messaging with our social media guy. Now, this is funny. um, Again, in case any of you thought that you know, got the wrong idea of who bought out whom with this uh, merger here. Um, The Blaze on there. So so there's Blaze Media, which is the new CRTV. That's the joint merger. But then again, like I said, the written content, we still have the separate conservative review. And certainly it's accompanying social media platforms as well as theblaze.com and its platform. So the guy who does our social media, he was having a friendly tweak of um uh the, the blaze put out a tweet um senator hatch was um you know put out just a funny video of him eating bacon and uh you know it was it was just in in in, in jest so the blaze tweeted out you know when could we get this guy down to Texas? When's the next election? And how can we vote for Warren Hatch in Texas? So, um, our our buddy from the conservative review, uh, Twitter handle tweets back, slow down there friends. Let's let him eat all the bacon he wants in retirement. You can buy it for him as a, as a going away present. And then linked had a screenshot of his Liberty score of 24%. So, (laughs) um, take it for what it is. Anyway, uh, just wanted to mention about the border, something else about the border that's very, very important for today's news. So I've been telling you guys that we don't have a border infrastructure funding wall problem at its core. We have a policy self-immolation problem of inviting in illegals through you know straight up. And then the lawfare and the courts granting all these rights, which I want to get to in the remainder of the show with the courts, and the courts blocking deportations, and if you don't deal with those items, the asylum catch and release problem, the UAC problem, sanctuary city problem, and the court problem, the wall is not going to help. I want to read to you a Washington Examiner article linked to three Guatemalans trying to enter Arizona legally through Mexico on Monday dropped three young children from the top of the 18-foot wall down to family members on the U.S. side. The border agency said a security camera operator operator watching footage from Border Patrol's Yuma sector saw the group of people and, and a suspected smuggler at the wall near San Luis Port of Entry. This is what the folks, this is what the Arizona sheriffs were telling me. The drug cartels are driving them there and dropping them over. So a border wall, it will slow them down. But again, they want to get caught. See, when we used to prosecute them for doing this and certainly wouldn't let them in, well, you don't want to get caught. So a border wall is going to help. But if you don't care about getting caught and you want to get caught because you surrender yourself and you have catch and release, well, then it's not going to help. And in fact, the cartels have created a business model around the Ninth Circuit, around what we do. They charge half the freight for a, when you have kids, because they know if you come with kids, they don't have to successfully get you in undetected. They could just blatant you, drop you over the border, and you get caught, and it's fine. And they did their job for you. You should see um my buddy, um uh, Leon Wilmot, Yuma County Sheriff, he was just, just really pained today when he was telling me how our politicians just don't care. Forget about what it does to Americans. We know they don't care. But the stuff he sees done to these kids… The empowerment of the drug cartels, the rapes that he sees because of the very people. And by the way, these same organizations that are talking about all forgiveness and repentance and second chances and social conservative Christian values with jailbreak and prison release, they're the same people that are stupid stupidity is a dangerous commodity that don't know the facts on the ground with jailbreak. And they don't know the facts on the ground with the border and they're emoting about, oh, we need to stop separating families. God doesn't want ignorance. Anyway, this stuff is happening all the time. It was just interesting that um, the sheriffs there warned me about this and now you see this being reported in the press. So... There's that issue. The remainder of the program, I want to discuss the courts and immigration. The insanity we are seeing coming out of the courts, it like every day, it's a new thing. Every day, it's a new thing. From Politico, Federal Appeals Court rules against another immigration crackdown attempt. So this is the Ninth Circuit. And by the way, before we just get to this, the Ninth Circuit today upheld or at least declined to have an emergency motion to overturn the injunction of the lower court on the asylum policies, which we knew would happen. And again, we shouldn't care because we shouldn't be groveling them because we should be doing what we want and following the law and the Constitution, not the civil disobedience of these judges. By the way, there was a judge in Massachusetts being investigated by ICE now that she might have literally been abetted a fugitive and allowed an illegal criminal alien, dangerous criminal alien, to escape the back door of the um, facility. But anyway, so the same day that they said an illegal could just demand to come through in between our points of entry, there's a right to immigrate. A federal appeals court has struck down a portion of federal law that makes it a crime to encourage foreigners to enter or reside in the United States illegally. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals panel ruled that the provision violates the First Amendment by covering speech that is constitutionally protected. Judge A. Wallace Tashima... I believe that's a Clinton appointee, said the statute appeared to apply to statements amounting to pure advocacy on a hotly debated issue in our society. Criminalizing expression like this threatens almost anyone willing to weigh in on the debate Tashima wrote in a 42-page opinion issued Tuesday. I did not read the opinion yet. But – um federal prosecutor said the law, which predates the Trump administration, should only be read to apply to individuals who provide substantial assistance to illegal aliens, but the judge called that reading strained and unpersuasive. Although the encourage or induce prong may capture some conduct, there is no way to get around the fact that the terms also plainly refer to First Amendment pro- protected expression. The decision came in an appeal brought by former California immigration consultant Evelyn Sinang Smith, who was sentenced in 2015 to 18 months in prison after a jury convicted her on tax and mail fraud charges as well as a violation of the law about encouraging foreigners to reside illegally in the U.S. Prosecutors painted her immigration practice as a scam and said she induced immigrants to apply for programs that had ended or benefits for which they were clearly ineligible. See – that is not... See, here, here's the problem. Uh, b- b- bunch of, a bunch of things here to learn. First of all, again, a court, even if they are supreme, and even if you would believe in judicial supremacy, and even if you don't believe in the plenary paradox of immigration, a court could only rule on a specific case. A court can't say an entire law is unconstitutional. Now, they could say that, but you can't apply... Like, So let's say you believe that a law as written would rope in someone just merely saying... Um, I'm pro-illegal immigrant and we grab them and lock them up. Show me a case where we're doing that and then you could grant that plaintiff relief. But you can't say because in your mind it's too broad and the law would cover things that are just merely speech so therefore you're going to apply it say that the whole law is unconstitutional, and therefore a woman that uses, has a business subverting our programs and, and enticing people to apply for them is unconstitutional. So that's number one. But more broadly here, there's two more important lessons to learn here. Second point is that, again, this is another example of judges are throwing out long standing immigration statutes. They're not just saying oh Trump's policies are a problem. They're there's they're, they're they're ripping out immigration statutes which are, you know, the, the most lawful things around. So again, this is not like every time a judge has a bad ruling we don't need to quote fix the statute. We need to fix the judge by ignoring him or impeaching them or generally stripping them of a jurisdiction. Because it's not a policy issue. And number three on the First Amendment freedom of speech. So the very same circuit that believes you don't have a First Amendment right not to have your paycheck taken out from you to fund political activities Right? Remember the Janus case, they were overturning the Ninth Circuit. The same people that believe I don't have a First Amendment right with my own property to not violate my conscience. The same people that who believe that government well, I'll get to that later. This is a separate case. But these people are now saying that there's a First Amendment right to immigrate or First Amendment right to subvert our immigration laws and national sovereignty and encourage an invasion of this country. Let me tell you something. Legal immigrants don't have the foundational First Amendment right of donating to a political campaign, right? They can't donate. They don't have a right to own a gun. That's in the Second Amendment. Now – I know some of you are going to say, well, okay, technically they're probably applying this to Americans who are abetting illegals, not illegals um, themselves. Now, first of all, they are applying the First Amendment to illegals themselves in, in many other cases. That's a general trend, um, as well as the right to enter initially. But this is extremely dangerous. That is not protected speech, folks. Now again, if you if you speak, if you just want to advocate for illegals, you could do that. But if you are running legal, you know shops that are you know laundering, um, these you know enticing them to come, you cannot do that. This is a, something that Scalia would say: you don't judge history and tradition; it judges you. It's it's a, it's a paraphrasing, it's not an exact quote, Um, he said that a couple months before he died. He's very into history and tradition. Do you understand that our very first immigration laws, our very first immigration laws in the late 1800s at a federal level, as you well know, we had them um, at a state and local level and a colonial level for for really many years. But they actually, you know, this, this particular statute, I'm forgetting when it's from, it's, it's more recent. But, um, our original statutes barred any shipliner or company, private entity, from advertising immigration. Immigration. Based on based on employment, and by the way, that in itself is very telling about their philosophy on slave labor. Um, what happened was they experimented with this when they had the treaty with China, um, and they brought in a bunch of them. It was called the coolie trade, the coolies, and it caused a lot of social unrest because again, you either have to have immigrants be brought in as as human beings, as citizens, and they assimilate, and they're good for everyone. It's good for them. It's good for us. Or you don't bring them in at all. You can't bring in this slave labor just underclass. You it just it's never good for anyone. And, and that's that's a point that really, you know, everyone should agree to, whatever your philosophy is on immigration. But they wanted to discourage this practice when, you know, they had problems in the 1870s, eighteen eighties. So in the 1891 bill, they added a provision that um barred anyone from encouraging immigration through advertisements. And any immigrant suspected of having come as a result of such encouragement was deemed inadmissible. And indeed, the bill ordered immigration officials to immediately deport any of these people, and they actually punished the shipliners who did that. Now, this wasn't a particular issue inadmissible class. Now it was self-fulfilling because if you advertised and they came based on the advertisement that was deemed an illegal immigrant, so to speak. But here you're downright subverting our, our, our immigration system that, you know, we have clear parameters and there is no way that's covered. You could engage in that behavior. And if you would apply this to tax evasion, nobody would say that's freedom of speech. Nobody would. This is part of the dangerous trend of illegal alien supremacy that they're being codified as a class of people that have super rights. See, this is more, you're right, this is an American we're dealing with, but it's more than just, you know, giving alien citizen rights. It's that as it relates to illegal immigration, they're willing to give either the illegals or Americans who help them more rights than other Americans, because even regular Americans, you don't have the right to subvert our laws. That's not freedom of speech. I don't have the right to create programs actively, not just speech, but helping people subvert our healthcare laws, even if we I don't like them. I could advocate against them and advocate we change them and advocate why they're immoral and why they're wrong, This is the problem here. And then another case, another sanctuary city judge declaring sanctuary cities Um, says anti-sanctuary laws are unconstitutional. It's a federal judge in New York and he's applying it to New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Washington, and Virginia. So states are allowed to subvert our Second Amendment. They're allowed to say, you m- must bake a cake for a gay, subvert the First Amendment. Not just for a gay, I mean for a gay wedding, for you know, to service not just the person, but the wedding. Yet, there's a right to immigrate, there's a right to sub- freedom of speech, to have a business subverting our laws, and there's a right to states to have federal funds when they subvert the most solemn duty of the federal government. And that's the thing, the courts just say whatever they want. They just do whatever they want. This is insane. Utterly and totally insane. Which brings me to the final point of this broadcast. So I want you guys to see the imbalance between the two parties and the two movements on how they act when they're faced with adversity. Very important case here. We mentioned the Second Amendment. This is from a website, BearingArms.com, and I'm only quoting from it. I don't know who it is, but... I'm quoting from because they quote the Boston Globe, but the Boston Globe is behind a paywall. I, I just can't bring it up now. I have to track it down. But Massachusetts governor ignores court order to reinstate gun permits. So this is Charlie Baker. Now, you might say he's a Republican, but he's not. He's literally a liberal Democrat, um, just like we have Governor Larry Hogan in Maryland. You know These much vaunted blue state Republican governors, there's nothing red about them it's not you know a matter of being pragmatic they're complete liberals in all every sense of the word anyway They're quoting here from this blog, so they're quoting from uh, the Boston Globe. Governor Charlie Baker on Monday defended his administration's role in a legal battle over firearm licenses, arguing the state was required to tell local police chiefs that hundreds of people should have their permits revoked at the urging of federal officials. But the stance continues to meet resistance at the district court level, where at least seven judges, including two last week, have ordered that gun licenses be reinstated with one dismissing with one dismissing the reliance on the state's legal position as capricious. The issue has drawn new attention since The Globe reported that the state was resisting orders from judges who charged that officials had overstepped their legal authority by urging local officials to pull the gun licenses of roughly 340 people, some of whom were convicted of misdemeanors decades ago. Despite the court orders, the administration has refused to reinstate the licenses, potentially exposing the state to litigation. Um... Baker argues that he's following instructions from the ATF, which supposedly informed him that the state has been doing it wrong. Um, but courts have repeatedly rebuffed the state's arguments. Last week, judges in Glou- Gloucester and Taunton joined their counterparts and five other district courts in ordering that a gun license be reinstated. In one case, a Seekonk man had been disqualified because he pleaded guilty in 1983 to receiving stolen property under a $100. Gerald Arada successfully petitioned to the license, licensing board to have his right to a license restored in 2013, only to have the permit revoked by Seacock police after the state's directive in Maine. Judge Michael D. Brennan, a Baker appointee, ruled last week that the state and federal officials' legal position was an error and that Seacock's licensing authorities' reliance on it was erroneous, arbitrary, and capricious. You know the lesson here that's obvious. Here you have rulings from multiple judges on very specific individuals on the most unalienable, unambiguous right of self-defense in the government. You want to talk about low-level offenses, these really are low-level. And by the way, these are the same people who want to let go gangbanging banging drug, uh, drug and gun traffickers at a federal prison under the guise of them being low-level offenders, well, this is a truly low-level offender, and they had their permits revoked. Judge Charlie Baker saying, screw you, I'm, I'm following the law. You know, I don't need some judge telling me off. And by the way, these are state judges, which, again, are more appropriate than federal judges in a lot of these issues. But, so this is a guy, the left is willing to flip off judges when they believe they're wrong. Even when it deals with individual plaintiffs having an unalienable right being infringed upon. Yet, we have, tr- even the Trump administration, a judge says it's arbitrary and capricious to deny visas to certain p- aliens, to deny marriage licenses to people that don't have a marriage, to deny a press badge to Jim Acosta, and they dutifully listen to it. This is the degree of imbalance we have in our system. See, the left does what they need to do. The left is very good with that. They have no problem dealing with this. You know, you got to give them credit. Nothing will stand in their way because, see, the left speaks to the morality of their immorality, of their wrong views. Their anti-Second Amendment, they will take that to the gates of hell, and that includes um, ignoring judges. We won't speak to the morality of 200 years of settled case law within the judiciary's own branch of government. We just allow this um, garbage to go on. So I just wanted you guys to know the left knows how to take care of judges when they have problems with them. So uh, you know, and, and, and this is again part of a broader issue. That our side refuses to fight for what we believe in. We'll only fight for the other side's views. We'll fight for jailbreak. I mean, I call it the reverse patent. We will die on the other SOB's. Hills and for the other SOB's ideology. You know, Patton always talked about dying. You know, the object is to make the other SOB die for his country. Well, we ourselves die for their country. We die for Afghanistan. And by the way, this is another big problem. Lindsey Graham, and it bothers me, he was made a, a hero by the stupid click-servative movement. And he's worse than ever on jailbreak, on immigration, you name it. He literally is calling for regime change in Saudi Arabia. He never called for regime change when they were terrorists. Now that you have MBS, even if you have shortcomings and you don't like him, he's trying to reform and he's fighting these guys. Now he suddenly supports regime change. He has no problem with Americans dying and bleeding and spending billions of dollars for the child molesting government and Afghani army army to no avail. To the Iranian-backed Baghdadi government. He has no problem getting us involved on, on fighting Assad by joining with ISIS to do so, or fighting ISIS by joining with Assad. <laughs> He's taken both those positions. But suddenly, we can't even just merely passively let MBS beat up the Muslim Brotherhood. And we need a regime change. And again, what's bothering me about even Rand Paul and Mike Lee, and I know they they believe their stuff in other theaters too, but somehow they're the most forceful when it comes to going after Saudi Arabia. I mean, really? I don't see Rand's forcefulness on Iran. Turkey. Qatar. But um, this this is the imbalance. The other side believes in their views. And they believe if, if, if their view is moral, that is what they're going to do. And they're not going to let a judge get in their way. We believe only the left's views are moral. And we'll fight for them and just convince ourselves that once in a while it overlaps with a conservative outcome in our view. There's a lot more garbage going on in our court system um, that's, that's very, very problematic. You know, Speaking of Massachusetts, here's a Boston Herald story. Six members, this was from last week, six members of the ruthless MS-13 gang were indicted for racketeering in connection with the murder of a teen in Lynn, with the Fed saying bail should be denied because they pose a serious threat to the public. Now, the funny thing is i meant to use this case to talk about immigration and the judges and blocking deportation and subverting immigration law and the sovereignty realm. But again, I can't, ignore the criminal justice angle here. Notice these are ruthless MS-13 people. They were indicted. It wasn't even, it's officially white collar. It wasn't even drug trafficking, racketeering, but in connection with the murder of a teen. This is how they get these guys in jail. They often don't land a murder conviction. So when you let these guys out, oh, why why is this guy serving so long for Rico? This is the big lie. Anyway, anyway, The nature and circumstances of the charges are troubling and horrific, a federal criminal affidavit reads. That includes killing 17-year-old Herson Rivas on August 2nd with a large knife like they were chopping wood. One of the accused, according to the affidavit, stabbed the defenseless teen with such force his knife became warped during the attack. The teen's body was found in a wooded park in Lynn. He was murdered. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Boston said because... The MS-13 gang members, many illegal immigrants, believed he was cooperating with law enforcement. One of the six accused, Henry Salvador Gutierrez, 19 of Somerville, dodged deportation a month before the murder. Salvador succeeded in convincing the immigration court that he was not in a gang, was not violent, and did not pose a threat to the public. This is the problem, folks. The immigration judges, whether in DOJ, a lot of them are former Soros immigration lawyers, Sheep and wolves, uh, uh, wolves in sheep sheep's clothing, or whether they're Article Three courts. This is the problem. We have a court problem. We have a drug problem. We have an immigration problem. We have a criminal justice problem. We have a budget problem, and it all ties into the budget. As Madison said in the Federalist Papers, the House of Representatives and the has the power of the purse, and that was the last means of redressing our grievances. And now they're ending their eight-year tenure of control by ignoring every one of our priorities and focusing on the, left, the left-wing the left priorities on every single issue. So we're going to have a lot more on this. We're going to get more into foreign policy as well. Like I said, Lindsey Graham's going nuts later this week. Got to run now. God bless y'all. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for more exciting news here at Conservative Review and Blaze Media. This has been another episode of a conservative conscience.